Hi everyone. Uh, so my name is Eunice. So this is the GDG Bird. Um, we are organizing the meetup like uh, during the pandemic. So we're still doing it on online. And I welcome everyone. Welcome Doc for coming uh, tonight and uh, talk with us about the uh, Android 11. So I um, so I will just leave the time to you, Doc, to introduce yourself and. Um, and talk through all the things that you want to talk about the Android performance. Awesome. Well, great. And thank you for having me. Um, hi, everybody. I am Doug. And I'm going to start sharing my screen here. So I won't be able to see questions or anything. Um, yeah, I'll help you like, uh, check it out. But if, if there are questions, you know, honestly, feel free to just ask. <clears throat> there are not a lot of us here, so that's fine. Um, but I'm Doug, and we're going to talk a little bit about Android performance, because I think that's really uh, an important topic that isn't brought up enough. Um, so I'm Doug. This is the slide about me. Um, I help people make their web pages and their apps run faster. Um, I actually wrote a book uh, for O'Reilly on how to speed up your Android app. And if you're interested, that is the link to the PDF. So you can just download it and take a look if you're interested. Um, it's a little dated, but you know, all of the tools are still out there and they all still work. So check them out. Um, I'm currently in the UK. Uh, we were just chatting about that before the recording started. So I'm about uh, two hours outside of London. But you know, if you have any questions and you're watching the video, feel free to reach out. I'm on Twitter. That's my email account. And I blog about stuff all the time on my website. Um, so as we get started, this is a an alp in switzerland and they've literally nailed this walkway to the side of the alp and so i like to ask how many of you feel a little nervous thinking about walking across this walkway that literally there's like a 500 meter drop right underneath you um it's hard to do a uh, a poll while we're all online um but like yeah we're all a little nervous of heights and i asked this question because about four years ago Erickson did a study where they put sensors on people's brains, basically, to measure stress response. And they found that when people thought about standing on the edge of a cliff, they got a little stressed out. When you think about queuing up for a line, you get a little stretched out, stressed out. But what they actually found is people who are thinking about a slow mobile app actually get more stressed out than people who are thinking about standing on the edge of a cliff. And so why that's important is when people are stressed out or frustrated, they tend to not repeat that whatever they're doing again, right? So if they fire up an app and it's slow and frustrating, they may not want to fire that up app up ever again. And so you just spend all this time getting this install of your app and then they never use it or they uninstall it. So performance is actually a really major part of, you know, building your Android app and maintaining your Android app. I mean, it, you could just look at Google Play and how many this new update has performance improvements, right? Everybody's doing that. Uh, there's research around this. Google found that on a mobile website, if it takes over three seconds, you lose half your customers. Another study found that a half second delay increases frustration, lowers engagement. You know, 20 years ago, Amazon and Walmart both found that a hundred millisecond delay, you know, they could measure the drop in revenue. And then there's a study from 
it's been a while now, but 4% of mobile users admit to throwing their phone when they find a slow mobile experience. So like, it's bad, we should try to avoid it. So let's walk through what we can do to avoid that. Um, it's hard because you're trying to build an app that's like immersive and rich and does all these cool things, um, which might mean that you're downloading a lot of stuff over the network, which might make it slower. So we have to balance all these things to try to make it really cool and fun to use, but also quick. Um, I used to work for AT&T in America. Um, you know, they're the number two cell provider in America. And one thing you have to deal with when you're on a mobile device is that cellular networks are high latency. And on a 3G connection, even before data is transmitted, the phone has to talk to the tower and establish a connection. And that can take up to two and a half seconds. And even on 4G, it can take a quarter of a second. I don't have data for 5G. But what that means is like you press a button on your phone and there's a delay before any data can be transmitted. Further, you can see there's a lot of latency on mobile, right? So Wi-Fi, you're talking 50 millisecond uh, round trips on 3G and 4G, you know, you know, four to six times higher. Um, so things tend to be a little bit slower. So if you have a big file, you're going to pay for that. Um, what phone manufacturers and cellular carriers have tried to do to mitigate some of that is this is a screenshot from a tool I helped build at AT&T, but it's measuring all the packets coming in and out of the phone as I test an app. And what happens with the cellular radio is it turns on and after that last packet is sent, the radio stays on for like 10 seconds. And that's to try to avoid this connect connection establishment. What it also does is it leaves the radio on for a period of time. So that can lead to battery drain. We'll talk about that. So these are some, the models are slightly different. On 3G, the power drops halfway through. On 4G, it does not drop. On 5G, the power is going to drop again. Um, that, that's just the way they built the models. Um, but what's important to know about this is these packets show 300 bytes of data being transmitted to my phone. And you can see that the radio was on for 17 seconds. So what that shows is when you're transferring data back and forth between your app and your server, you should be careful on how you're doing it. And I'll show you some examples of how people have screwed that up as we get further into the talk. Um, so we're going to talk about how I test apps for network performance and show you some of the best practices that I've found over the years of doing this. Um, when I was at AT&T, I helped build this tool. It's called Video Optimizer now. And don't let the name fool you, it'll test any app. And it'll test iOS apps and Android apps. Uh, it's free and open source, so you can check it out and download it. Um, you tev I'll talk about it, but you tether your phone to your computer and it, it's, it's actually a really cool tool. The other tool I've been using a lot lately is called HTTP Canary. Um, it's in Google Play, it's seven US dollars um, to download and use. They have a free version too. Um, so what I'm measuring here is I've got my phone, it connects to the tower, it goes out to the internet, and then the traffic comes back, right? So we're constantly doing this in our app, and we're setting up a man in the middle. And that man in the middle is going to read all the traffic coming out of the phone, send it on, and then bring it back. And when I started, when I started testing Android apps, and this is Android 2, right? This is nine versions of Android ago. Um, all traffic was HTTP. 
So like I could test everything. I knew exactly what was coming in out of my phone because I could read it. Obviously for security reasons, that's not a very smart way to do all your data transmission. So nowadays um, we have HTTPS. And when you have a man in the middle for HTTPS traffic, you just can't see it, right? Well, you can see data going back and forth, but you can't tell what it is. Um, so it's hard to read. So what both of these tools do is they install a cert on the phone. And then that cert allows us to read the traffic going back and forth. However, this is a really easy thing for hackers to do. And so what a lot of apps do is now do certificate pinning, where there's a cert on the phone, there's a cert in the cloud, and the app actually checks to make sure it's a cert that it knows. Um, and if it doesn't actually understand which certificate it's looking at, it's not gonna allow the traffic. Now, if you're testing your own app, you can build a test build that allows this cert, and then you're all good, right? In your test build, you can do all of this testing and see what's being sent back and forth. I'm generally just testing apps that people have released, and so it's a little harder. Um, <clears throat> uh, HTTP Canary has this idea of an app proxy, and what that does is now the traffic, the app is looking for from here through there, and we're decrypting between the app proxy and the man in the middle, and it gets me a little bit more traffic that I can read. Um, it's all, they talk about how to do this on the, on the HTTP Canary website. Um, but even when you do this, login connections generally fail. So if you fire up an app, if you fire up Netflix, it won't let you log in this way. So when I do all of my testing, I generally log into Netflix, then I quit Netflix, and then I set up all of this testing, and then I can test the application. Um, one thing that was really interesting is I tested Khan Academy Kids. You know, it's video e-learning for kids. And I had the whole app proxy set up. And so I tried to log in, it's doing HTTP2. And as soon as it didn't recognize the cert, it black holed all the traffic to example.com and nothing worked. Um, so that was interesting. I kind of wonder, like I, had, I didn't actually look, like did my, um, authentication stuff get sent to example.com. I know it's a black hole and there's probably all sorts of interesting stuff there. Um, but usually it just fails and they throw a 500 error. In this case, I thought it was interesting that they actually redirect you to example.com. Um, so video optimizer, this is the tool I helped build at AT&T. You plug in your phone, you've got your uh, Android debug bridge up and running so you can see the device. Uh, we're collecting over a VPN. One thing this tool lets you do is actually slow down your network speed. And this is actually something that might be worthwhile doing every now and then. See what your app looks like on a slow connection. Because we know there are areas in the world where people are only on 3G or even only on 2G. And it's important to see what your app, how your app behaves, or if it's even usable on those slow connections. Uh, Facebook used to have 2G Tuesdays where they would turn down the Wi-Fi for developers on Tuesday. So they would have to use their phone on a 2G connection. Um, Video Optimizer will record what's going on on the screen, and then you aim in your test and you go. And what happens is on your computer, you actually see what's happening on your screen, like it's mirroring on your, on your computer. You can see there's a VPN fired up. That VPN is where we're doing our man in the middle. And so you can test your app. And so here I'm testing a real estate app. I run all my tests. I, it collects all the traffic going in and out. When I'm done, I press stop, and all the files are copied from my phone to my computer for analysis. HTTP Canary 
does not require the computer at all. The VPN's on the phone, all the analysis is done on the phone. And then there's actually a floating window showing you the traffic that's happening. So you can actually sort of see that it's working while you're actually testing. Um, and so once you have the results, you can start analyzing what the traffic that's being sent back and forth is. And what I find is a lot of it is like when you order something from Amazon or your favorite online retailer and they send you a giant box and it's mostly like the air pillows and whatever you bought is just in the tiny little corner, right? They end up wasting so much space. It could be, a, the box could be a lot smaller. The packaging could be a lot smaller if it actually just fit what was being delivered. And we're sending these giant packages of data to our mobile devices when we could actually make it smaller and get there faster and it, you know, everyone would be happier. Um, so, uh, how can we optimize content delivery, uh, video optimizer tests for like five best, five different series of best practices. I'm going to talk about, uh, files and images here. Um, here I'm testing an application and here are all the connections that are happening. You can see which IP, you know, what kind of connection they are. And what I can see here is this connection to Facebook, facebookcdn.net. The same file is being requested twice within a few seconds. So something happened here where the app decided it needed to make this connection twice. Is it an accidental second call to Facebook? Could we remove that second call and save 250K on the download? Um, this used to be a lot more prevalent than it is today, but there are still times where I see duplicate files being downloaded. And I'll show you another example as we get into images in a little bit. But anytime you can avoid downloading the same thing twice and caching it locally, that's a good thing. And we should look to do that. Um, oh, here's the images. All right. So this is an app called Flickster. It shows you what uh, movies are in the theaters near you. And so, you know, here's an example of one of the thumbnails. It's for uh, the Harrison Ford movie, The Call of the Wild. All right. So what am I looking for? This app actually does something cool. They use low quality image placeholders or LQIP. And what happened, what they're doing is they have a placeholder image that shows up first. And in this case, the placeholder image is 31 by 47 pixels. It's one kilobyte. And then <clears throat> as the page loads, the larger version loads in and it looks sharp. But what this does is it gives the user the idea that something's happening in the app, it, that you know that the app is working and trying to get you content. Now, this second image is 500K, or when I tested it here is 469K. We're going to talk about that because that's way too big, but we'll talk about that too. So this is what it looks like. And you can see here's that low quality placeholder right here. And then it sort of blinks and the sharp image comes into play. You can actually see all of them sort of blinking when I press play here again. You'll see all of them kind of flash as the full size image comes into play. And so what's happening here is it's giving you that idea that things are happening in the app. You can still use it with that low quality placeholder. You could go and read whatever movie you wanted, but if you want to see what the full placeholder, the full uh, movie poster looks like, you can wait. Um, <clears throat> now here's another view where there is no L quip. And what you'll see is the image flashes, full size image, and then it flashes to the full size image again. Bam, it flashes again. Um, you can see it here with the image of the woman with red hair and then to the right, the Harrison Ford movie. So you see this one flash. 
no change. And this one will flash. Big image, big image. Like there's no low quality image placeholder here. It's the big image and then the big image. So why are they doing that? Like what's going on there? And so when I'm running my test, I can actually see what's going on. They're making a mistake. <clears throat> and so what they're doing is um, the, the placeholder is supposed to be this one, right? You can see at the end, they've got this width 31 and quality one. So they actually have a parameter in the URL saying, you know, make it a different size and serve it a different quality. But they made a mistake. And the reason they made what how they made the mistake is there's two question marks. So this one is saying serve this image at quality 75. It's 1.7 megabytes. And this one says quality 75 and then has all this other stuff. But when there's two question marks, the spec for HTTP says only listen to the first one. So in reality, these two images are identical, even though they're trying to serve a low quality image placeholder. So they're trying to serve the placeholder, but they're not because they made a mistake. And they probably could have seen that if they looked really closely at the video like we just did. Um, however, they didn't. And if they actually looked at the network traffic, they might see it because there's, these two images are the same size. You would expect this one to be about a, me a kilobyte if this was being resized properly, but they're not. <clears throat> what they really want is just this bit and not the quality 75. All right. So that's the first issue that they have there. Let's actually look at how we can build an Elkwith image here. I'm going to come out of here. This is an image. And I'm going to use, instead of using, um, if you actually look here, They've got a tool built into Flickster that does this. I'm going to use a tool called Cloudinary. And so this is the image. It's a picture of me. And then I'm going to add some parameters to that picture. And with Cloudinary, you can do that in the URL. So instead of at the end, it's in the middle. I'm vectorizing the image. I'm giving it an automatic format and an automatic quality. And then I'm making it width 60. And there it is. So I can make that bigger, right? It's sort of an artistic rendition of, of uh, the picture of me. It's a placeholder, right? This is kind of a fun way to do it. Um, three is the number of colors. So I think if I go six, maybe we get more colors. Yeah, we get more colors. And then two is like how vectorized it is. I don't remember exactly. Right, so there are a whole bunch of parameters you can do here. Oh, it's 0 0.1. If I go 1.1. Right. You can see the vectors change and it kind of, you can be as artistic or as not artistic as you want for these placeholder images. And this placeholder image, I've got a, uh, a plugin here, uh, a Chrome plugin, and it's one kilobyte. You can see it's a WebP. So this parameter right here says, um, this is a Chrome browser. It supports WebP. The WebP is actually smaller than the JPEG, so I'll create a WebP. Um, obviously for Android, that's great. You can always serve a WebP. WebPs generally are smaller than JPEGs. Um, so you usually save about 10 or 20% on the images if you serve WebP. The parameter quality auto. So <laughs> in the examples here, um, they're serving it at quality 75. Google recommends, so like if you serve quality 85, it'll generally be really good. Quality 75 is really okay. Quality auto with this tool actually lowers the quality to where the human eye can't tell the difference. So if you can lower the quality even lower than quality 75, you'll save even more kilobytes. 
so that's what I'm doing there to make it super small. And then the final parameter I have there is just making it width 60 because the fewer pixels you have, obviously the smaller the image will be. All right. Presentation. All right. So let's talk responsive images. So responsive images are this idea and it you know kind of came out of the web Whereas if I'm on my computer, I can serve a big image on the web, but if on my phone, I can serve a small image, right? I don't need to serve thousands of pixels to the phone. When that happens, the phone downloads the whole file and then has to throw away a lot of the pixels to make it fit on the screen. And for a low powered Android device, that can actually take added time. It fires up the CPU, it drains the battery, it makes the phone hot. All these things we want to avoid. Um, so let's look at this 1.7 uh, megabyte image of Harrison Ford and his dog, um, right? It's showing up on a screen that's in portrait mode and it's taking up less than a third of the screen. Um, but the image, if you look at it, is 2,100 pixels wide. Um, and that's ridiculous, right? We don't need a 2,100 pixel wide image for a portrait view on a phone. If you actually look at this math, um, it would look great on a screen that's 6,500 pixels wide. It's too big for a 4K TV, right? It's too big an image to be a thumbnail for a 4K TV. We shouldn't be doing this on a mobile device, on a mobile phone, especially when people have to pay for their data when they may be on a slow connection and it might take a long time to download 1.7 megabytes. Um, let's say the screen is 1,500 pixels wide. Um, if we make the width 500, and here I'm just using their tool, right? I just put the width equals 500 at the end. It's 100K, you know, that's reasonable. 100K for an image, like, I'm cool with that. What if you went 350 for a 1080p, uh, a 1080 pixel wide screen? 60K, right? This is reasonable. These are reasonable image size for an app. And honestly, it's so darn small that no one's really gonna be able to tell the difference anyway. Um, so you should really serve properly sized images for the device that's downloading it. You know, always go a little bit bigger so that you know it's going to be good enough quality, but you don't need to go like 8K TV better, right? We can just go a little bit better. Um, another example is the Spotify app. Like this was a playlist I was listening to, right? Um, and there's this thumbnail right here of Gordon Lightfoot. And the image is actually 640 by 640. And like maybe other people use Spotify differently than I do, but I never actually like actually go to the album to read it. I just let the playlist go, right? And if actually I did click that, it'd be fine if it just made another connection to download this bigger image, right? These could all be like a kilobyte. And then this, you know, 10 kilobyte image could be downloaded later. And if you think about that, it doesn't seem like a big difference to go from one kilobyte to 10 kilobytes, but if you think about it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? That's already 90 kilobytes too much just for this one view. And, you know, multiply that times a million Spotify users or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you're not just talking about nine kilobytes, you're talking about gigabytes of data that can be saved just by serving properly sized images for the different use cases. All right, we talked a little bit about optimizing the quality. I sort of went into this, you know, you can go quality 85, you can go to quality 75, or you could find like that auto quality. And there are a bunch of tools. Google has a tool that'll do it. I think Smoosh 
it's an app that the Google team built and it'll do it. Um, they also have uh, a command line tool called Booterogly. There are a bunch of tools that'll do this. Um, so let's talk about way, uh, other image optimizations. I really find that like images are generally the biggest thing that we download that could be smaller. Um, video is a whole other topic. Video is insane as well. Um, we don't have time to talk about video, unfortunately, today. But here's Amazon Prime Video, right? So I fire up the app and they are advertising game night, right? And so this is the image that's on the front page of Prime Video. It's a JPEG, it's 500K. I do that quality auto and I turn it as a JPEG and I make it four times smaller. <clears throat> right now it's 100K. That's a huge improvement. That's going to download, you know, maybe not five times faster. Let's say it's even just four times faster. That's making the application faster. <coughs> so we should go for that. I mentioned image formats like WebP. Um, so these are the actual images when I download them and when I optimize them. So here's the JPEG. Here's the quality auto JPEG. There's the WebP. Like it looks exactly the same. And I just squeezed out another 30K. I've made it now 82 kilobytes instead of 520. Easy, easy modification. And it's going to make the application run that much faster. You can compare that to Netflix. And so, you know, you think about this image, it's about the same size. It's portrait as opposed to landscape. And, you know, Netflix always changes the images. So when I tested it the next time, it was a different image. But it's a WebP and it's 100K, right? So Netflix is serving a 100K image. Uh, Amazon is serving a 500K image, right? There's a difference here, and it's going to have a difference in the performance of how the application works. Um, side note, when I worked at AT&T uh, and I first tested the Netflix app, none of these files were ever cached. They were all JPEGs. They weren't cached. If you fired up Netflix, it would download like six megabytes of images. Then you could quit Netflix and literally start it up five seconds later and it would download those same six megabytes of images. They're now caching them. It's a lot faster. Uh, they also now, of course, do fun things like change the images every time you load up, but you know, whatever. Um, they are optimizing the images, so that's really, really good. As I mentioned, there are a lot of devices, a lot of different screen sizes. Um, size of the box is market share. Color of the box is how fast the CPU is. So here we have a, a whole lot of devices with low market share, different screen sizes, and low CPU. So if you don't have those images optimized, you're going to have a slow experience for all of these various and sundry devices that are out there that are Android. Um, animated GIFs are another thing. I, I said I wouldn't talk about video. This is like the little bit of video I'm going to talk about. So an animated GIF is, this is the movie I took on my phone. It's one and a half megabytes. I turn it into a GIF. And it's almost four megabytes. And so GIFs are not optimized for size. They generally are a lot bigger than a movie. Um, and the reason for that is the movie formats compress width and height and then through time. They compress in all three dimensions. GIFs can compress on width and height, but they do not compress through time. It's literally if you have 15 frames per second in your GIF, it's 15 GIFs per second. Um, so the way you optimize this is you turn it into a movie. GIFs are 256 colors. They have no sound, so you can strip out the audio track. And now we're talking uh, 250K as opposed to almost four megabytes, right? So it's 93% smaller and it looks exactly the same. No one can tell the difference. If you're on the web, you do video, autoplay, loop, muted. 
and there you go. If um, so many apps use GIFs, you know, Slack uses GIFs, um, you know, Giphy, uh, Twitter, all these apps use GIFs. But if you ever look, they're actually serving movies under the hood. They call them GIFs because it's sort of GIF the idea as opposed to actually using GIF the actual format. They're actually serving MP4s and looping them. Um, and so this is the way you do it on the web. Obviously, in an app, you'd use your player to like loop as well. Um, another really popular video app out there is TikTok. Um, and when you fire up the TikTok app, it downloads half of a bunch of videos. So it knows the top videos that people are looking at and the ones that it's going to recommend to you. It downloads the first half of each of those videos, about a megabyte each. So when you fire up TikTok, it's going to use a lot of data. And so you can actually see when I try to play it back, I always mouse over and the slide thing comes up. Um, half of the video is there. And then the idea is if you press play on a video, it gets 15 seconds. Or you can see it's 15 seconds and the whole video is 30. So like it downloaded 14 seconds. When I press play, it can make a connection to download 15 to 28. And then I can watch the whole video all at once. The player will just stitch the two videos right after each other. And you can see the whole video. Um, you know, that's a pretty smart way to do it, right? That way there's content there that's preloaded. You can begin consuming immediately. Um, but it's not doing all of it. It's just doing enough that you can get a taste and then it can finish off all the videos that you're going to eventually watch. There's a lot of stuff going on about how TikTok tracks you and how they're collecting all that information and sending it back to China and they know all these things about you. Um, obviously, I'm looking at the network traffic while I'm testing these apps. And I got to be straight with you, all of the clickbaity articles that I read about how TikTok is stealing your information, a lot of it is device name, uh, language, um, location, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. Honestly, just about every single third party analytics app is collecting that same data. And honestly, the data I saw, I don't think it was even going to tick. I mean, it's going to TikTok because it's being collected by a third party analytics company. But it, to me, it wasn't really that nefarious. It looked like the same traffic I see being collected by Facebook or Twitter or any of the other social apps. Um, now, if they are collecting things really nefariously, they might be doing a better job of hiding it, and I didn't see it. Uh, entirely possible I didn't really look that closely. But for the most part, when I see companies collecting data, I haven't seen anything really that nefarious. Um, things they do do weird with data. All of the views in TikTok are based on web views. And so typically when I see a, an app using web views, I'll see HTML, I'll see CSS, I'll see JavaScript, right? So it's building the web view and it shows up on the screen. TikTok, on the other hand, downloads giant zip files. <laughs> so here's this giant 5.4 uh, megabyte zip file. So I copy it over my computer, I unzip it, it's 25 megabytes. So like, what's in this zip file? Well, we're gonna look. You can see their pages, right? So here's the image viewer. We've got a CSS, we've got JavaScript, a panel, CSS, JavaScript, pointer, CSS, JavaScript, or, sorry, JavaScript, CSS. That one's screwed me up a little bit. <clears throat> um, one thing I find interesting, like the CSS is obviously different. These JavaScripts, they're all 5.4 megabytes. I can't help but think that there's probably a lot of redundancy there. And it would it be better if they could just download 
you know, it's bad enough this JavaScript is 5.4 megabytes, um, but could they just download one of the 5.4 megabytes and not download it three times, right? If you could make, instead of 15 megabytes, you could do just five, this zip file would be a lot smaller. It would make the app faster and use less data and use less storage locally on the phone. Um, they had a whole section on coronavirus when I tested in May. Um, you can see the zip file is 2.4 megabytes and all of these things are very similar, right? Here's the HTML, you know, you can see all the stuff. I, I need to go back and see what's in the QA file. Um, just because like, that's sort of weird. You shouldn't be downloading QA files to uh, production. Um, but one thing I did see in that is they're downloading a bunch of fonts duplicately. Right, so you've got the true type in the WAF, the true type in the WAF, the true type in the WAF. I forget what OTF is, um, but they're downloading the WAF and the OTF, right? Figure out, oh, open type. God, if I looked over here, it's an open type font. Um, you probably only need one of those for Android, so just download one of them and you could save, you know, a couple hundred kilobytes here. Another app that I was, that frustrated me personally. <laughs> so this is sort of like the Doug ranting bit. Um, my kids and my wife got me this awesome Lego set. Uh, it's got a thousand steps and two books to put this thing together. And so we put it together over Christmas holidays and it was a lot of fun, but to control it, you need to use the Bluetooth on your phone and you need the Lego control plus app. And that's awesome. All right, let's go download it. It was 300 megabytes. And you know, I don't have the best phone. I have a nice phone, but it was full. So I had to like make sure all my photos were uploaded. I had to delete a couple apps. It took me a lot of work to actually get the app downloaded on my phone. And so I got the app downloaded on my phone and we built the model, we played with it, but then I couldn't take pictures. Like my phone kept saying, Doug, you're out of data. You know, you're out of space. You need to delete something. And so I ended up deleting the app. And then my son came up, he's like, dad, can we play with your crane? I'm like, no, we can't because I don't have the app anymore. So I left a review and I said like, look, this app is just way too big. Um, I had to uninstall it because it, I can't play with my Lego set now. They fixed it, fixed. It's half the size. It's still 150 megabytes. And you can actually see they have asset bundles for all of the different models. And in the old version, 60, 56, 54, the new version, uh, 2015, 15. Um, so it's still big. And honestly, like I would rather have four or five more photos on my phone than the rally car, which is a model that I don't even own, right? I own the excavator. I don't need the 35 megabytes for the four by four in the rally car. It might even be better that you fire up the app and the app says, Hey, which model did you buy? Do you want to download the asset bundle for the excavator? Yes. Download it. And now you can use it. Um, to me, I think that's a better experience than having all this stuff stored locally on my device. It's better. Right. We definitely shaved off a whole lot of storage here. Could you, I mean, look at this. I was wasting 62 megabytes for a, a model. I don't even own. Um, so I mentioned about they're keeping the radio on. This was an app when I was at AT&T and I don't, I still don't know how they did it, but they screwed up the analytics. <coughs> and so this app had analytics firing every five seconds to see if the person was still using the app and um, somehow they horked it so badly that it kept firing the analytics even after you quit the app. Um, and so I reached out to the developers. I'm like, do you know the analytics are still firing after the app quit? And they're like, that's not even possible. We can't do that. 
And so I sent them the, the network trace and I said, well, this is coming from the app and I can see the connection and I can see that it's related to this application. What's going on? And I'm like, and they kind of had that, that, that look like that, oh, oh no face. And then they went and fixed it. Um, but you could imagine, like this was an application that was going to be released to all AT&T customers. And imagine AT&T putting an app on all the phones that drains the battery this badly, right? If the cellular radio never turns off, you're going to drain the battery really fast. In America, you buy your phone from AT&T. So now AT&T is going to get all these returns because battery life sucks because they put a crappy app on the phone. So they caught it. They fixed it before the app was released. Um, but you shouldn't do that. Uh, Pokemon Go. Anyone remember four years ago when this app crashed all summer long? The reason it crashed is I ran network traces. Um, actually, at AT&T, all of senior leadership was completely freaked out because everyone was worried about Pokemon Go was going to take down the network. Um, so on my network trace, you can see GPS is on because obviously it's using GPS. I'm walking around testing Pokemon. And actually what I found is this is all HTTPS, so I don't know what they're sending. But what I found is there's a, a, a blue connection, there's an orange connection, there's a yellow connection, there's a gray connection, and there's a green connection. So there's five connections from my phone going to Dynantic Labs, the developer of Pokemon, to their servers. Rather than using one connection and recycling it for the five different API calls that they're making, they're opening separate API, separate HTTP calls for each API call. And then those API calls are not synchronized in any way. They're just connecting whenever the hell they want to. So what you could imagine is they could just, they could have made one connection and said, where's Doug, where are the Pokemon, where are the gyms, whatever the other things they're asking. But that's not what they did. They kind of said like, you ask, and then you ask. It's sort of like whenever you want to just connect and do whatever. The problem with this is because each phone is using five connections. If you get 10 million people using it, you run out of IPs and you get IP port collision. And so I think I'm catching a Pokemon, but my Pokemon capture API uh, connection, that IP has been given to somebody else. And so when my app tries to connect and say, hey, Doug just caught a Pokemon, my app crashes. And so that's why that app was failing so badly four years ago. Every now and then you hear about a group of Pokemon people getting together to have like a Pokemon conference and they get together in a park and you still hear about the app crashing. And it's because they didn't set up enough local IPs, right? So you get 10,000 people in a park and there's it locally runs out of IPs and it starts crashing. So what can we do? We can make files smaller. We can compress the text files. Uh, we can make the images, serve them the correct size, the correct quality. We can serve them as WebPs to make them smaller. We can avoid duplicate content. We can avoid making multiple network connections and doing all of these things is gonna make our application faster or appear faster to the end user. And it's gonna make our customers happier. And when we do those things, they're gonna be more likely to use our app going forward in the future. So in conclusion, um, here are the tools I use to run the network traces, Video Optimizer from AT&T, HTTP Canary. Here's the app I, or, High Performance Android Apps is the book I wrote. And then for image optimization, I, the example I use is Cloudinary. It's a cool tool. You should check it out. It's fun to play with. Um, and if you're doing stuff, just playing around or building pet projects, it's free. So it's it's totally worth looking at. Um, and so with that, um, uh, that's my presentation. I'd be happy to take any questions from the folks who are here.
Any question, anyone for Dor? Thank you very much, Dor, for the very interesting uh, presentation. <laughs> we have learned a lot of new things today. Any question for Dor? Okay. If there's no question, maybe um, can I ask you one thing, Dor? Uh, you yeah. have um, presented a lot of things there. Um, if there is one thing that you could actually uh, say um, from the uh, all the things that you presented, one thing that say you see most common, I um, I'm not sure, uh, but maybe uh, maybe you can say oh, ninety percent of the app is having problem with this issue. Have you uh, analyzed uh, many apps that you could say something like that? Um, images are a common issue. Oh, images, yeah. Um, okay. And it's usually a very easy win, right? You just can resize the images on your on your back end and make them mm. smaller. Um, and obviously you need different sizes for tablets or TVs versus phones, but it's pretty straightforward to generate like three or four different sizes. Um, other things that I see really commonly occur is um, like your data endpoints, like you're requesting some data and you get a JSON file back. And a mm. lot of times um, you're only like, you might get like a 400K JSON file and you're only using three parameters. <laughs> okay. Right? And so like the phone ends up downloading this giant file and you only use a little bit of it. And so it might even make sense to request a smaller endpoint, right? Can I request that same data? but just get a smaller, more targeted amount of data in my JSON response than the full response. Um, mm. What are other things that I see people do that are really annoying? I, I think it's also really important to think about the analytics and the third party, oh, yeah. um, the third party tools that you use. A lot of times it's really easy for, you know, different organization, parts of the organization to say, well, I need this. And then somebody else says, well, I need that. And then I need mm. this. And you end up getting like four or five tools that are measuring the exact same thing. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about analytics. Now, um, uh, how, there are a lot of uh, third party analytics. Um, which one do you think which is not recommended? Have you had any experience with that? So what I would say is if you're adding a new third party provider, you should always test to see what's going on. Um, mm. In the early days of Android. Um, and so this was like before push was it before push notifications It was before push notifications. Um, there was an application that was built for Coca-Cola. And it was supposed uh -huh. to tell you, like, I guess if you go into fast food places, there's the machines where you can mix all the different, like you can ch uh -huh. choose to mix the sodas together. And this app would tell you where the nearest one was, right? And so obviously it needed your location. So you'd fire up the app and it would say, ah, Doug's in London, the nearest place he could go mix his soda is at this restaurant six blocks away and they would give me directions so I could walk six blocks. The problem was this SDK was firing up in the background and asking for my location every 15 minutes, whether or not I was using the application. Uh -huh. um, 
Of course, the problem with that is it was just, it was a small startup and they were storing all of this data, God knows where. And so I actually emailed them and I asked them what their data retention policy was. And they said, well, you know, it's not an issue because it is not identifiable information. However, you think oh. about it, like I've got, I've got this in my pocket. And so if it's saying every 15 minutes where Doug is, you know where I am from six o'clock at night until six o'clock in the morning. You know where I am between eight and five. You know when I'm at my children's football practice, right? <laughs> because, mm. you know, you get eight pings for the two hours I'm at my kid's football practice. So you know when I, even if it's not private, publicly identifiable information, you kind of know exactly where I am 24 hours a day. And so they don't mm. need to know it's Doug. They just need to know it's a guy who lives in this neighborhood and he's not at home right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you were trying to like go steal something from my house or steal my Amazon packages, you could do that um, from that information. So I think part of it is just like, look, to, so two things with that one. One is it was turning on my radio four times an hour, right? To get that information. And number two, it's like, what the heck are they doing with that information? Like, mm. For the app to work, they needed my location when I fired up the app, right? Which might have only been twice, right? They only needed my location like three or four times, yet they managed to get like four months of data collection out of me. Um, things like that kind of worry me. Um, yeah. If you I test am. enough of these apps, you know that everybody's tracking you, right? Uh -huh. um, we sort of, as developers, all know that everybody's tracking us. Uh -huh. and I think as developers, we probably behave differently than the average user might with their Android devices. Um, uh, when you actually look to see how well all of these apps are tracking you, you change your behavior a bit. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Doc, I have a question because uh, some of us here are beginners in Android development. Mm -hmm. um, beside the images and uh, checking the third-party app, is there any other tips that you can give us? So uh, when we develop, uh, maybe some of us do not have uh, skills to check, do a lot of uh, things, but is there any tip for us when developing that we are making sure that our app is going to be fast, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I so and, and in some ways, this is kind of weird because I am going to tell you to use analytics. Um, mm -hmm. you should look to see how your customers are behaving in the app. If you build an app, you, mm -hmm. and, and I, I've seen this, like when you build an app, you think people are going to use it the way you want them to use it, mm -hmm. but it might actually make sense to see, even if you only have 10 users, see how they are using the app because they may actually use it completely different than the right way right the way that you think they're gonna yeah, use it yeah and that might actually change the way that you know you may put out a new release like people are interested in the first screen and the third screen maybe you take out the second screen like to oh. you you think it's really useful but maybe mm. you make you know you can reorder the way people interact with the application based on the way they're using it um mm. because even if you do all the things that i say that make it fast but people are using your app in a different way mm and you see that they're using it in a different way, maybe you can rebuild your app in the way that people are actually using it. 
Um, and then it will even appear faster if people be like, ah, oh, they got rid of that second screen. Thank God. Yeah. I, I have no idea why they added that there. Um, and then you can all that in that way, you can make the experience happy for your customers. So I would always yeah. just sort of always think and always test. I think that's the biggest thing is like so many, mm, mm. how many times have you tried to buy something on a web page and you're like, I can't even check out. Like, <laughs> did they even try the checkout? procedure here right like yeah yeah um make sure that all the things actually work yeah there's nothing more frustrating than firing up app application mm -hmm. and it just doesn't work for whatever reason yeah i understand uh what you say because uh what i'm doing on daily basis is actually doing those test things yeah usability mm -hmm. test things uh trying to know how people use the apps and everything and mm -hmm. then uh, try to optimize like you say okay we do not need this we change this one so basically whatever over there is actually mm -hmm. what people use mm -hmm. and then that makes the size of the apps also smaller we do not need this one <laughs> we remove those ones that that would be a good tip for for all of us so is there any question from the rest uh of the audience here no one okay. more one more thing i can yeah. add oh I, go ahead. I have a question I, yeah, I, sorry, I, sorry, Josh, I have a question. Yes, yes, I my go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, okay, my question is um, uh, regarding WebP. I don't know, have you heard of WebP, Magis? Doc? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, in the situation of loading WebP images from the server and into your Android app, what do you think uh, happens? Yes. You should. Uh, WebP is supported in Android, so you're going to make the images smaller if you use WebP. Okay, so they're not uh, the quality. Like for example, you're using Glide uh, to handle the, the 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 what is it called? When getting the image, mm -hmm. uh, will there not be any issue or something like that with regarding the quality? The only issue I've ever heard about WebP quality is if, like, you're taking a graph, like an an Excel graph that you took a screenshot of. WebP sometimes screws up the text, like the text doesn't get optimized properly. So you might want to stick with a JPEG for a thing or a PNG if there's text in the image. Um, but in general, if it's a photograph, WebP is fine. And I would recommend you go with WebP. Of course, the other thing I was going to mention is test your app for offline mode. There are times where people won't be using, won't be on a network. Um, there's two examples I can give of that. One of them was I was in, in the States and I was flying United Airlines and United Airlines to save money took the screens out of the back of all of the headrests. Uh -huh. And they said, you know, you've got a smartphone, download United, watch a movie app on your phone. And then when you're up, once you're up in the air, you can connect to the, in, you know, the Wi-Fi and watch any movie you want to. I'm like, awesome. I downloaded it, got up in the air, fired up the application. It's like, we're sorry, we don't support your device. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. That was a long flight. Um, the other example is, uh, it's actually the library app that I use. My, my public library has an app where I can download eBooks and you can read the books. And that's really, really awesome. Um, I've noticed just like when I go to bed, I'll put my phone on airplane mode and try to start up the book and it won't start up. 
because it wants to do some sort of DRM check to make sure that I'm still allowed to be reading the book. Um, and that's, I've actually gotten caught on an airplane. Like I'm in bed, so I can always just turn on the Wi-Fi, get the book on and then turn off the Wi-Fi and read the book. Um, but I've had that happen to me on an airplane. Like, oh, I'm on a four hour airplane. I can finally read my book. Uh. Right? <laughs> like I can't read my book. Um, so think about offline mode and how your app will work. If it's very network intensive, what will happen if it's offline? Will it still work? Mm, mm. Yeah, it's a good idea to test it offline as well. Yeah, I think some people forget when you, you develop the app to, to test it the offline because, you know, in our world, we just assume that everyone is connected to the internet all the time. And I've seen this happening actually quite a lot in uh, Indonesia because uh, for them, sometimes the connection is very, very bad. And then the app developer just don't think about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's actually, if you're interested, like five years ago, Facebook did a study about why Facebook was so bad in Indonesia. And they actually, <laughs> really, <laughs> they flew engineers to Indo Indonesia to figure it out. And you know what they found out is they had actually screwed up their CDN routing and they okay. were serving all traffic to Indonesia from Brazil. <laughs> and if you start thinking about like where the wires are in the Pacific Ocean, like there's yeah, no good way to get from Brazil to Indonesia. Like it's yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should have read that report. Interesting. Okay, is there any other question from the audience tonight? Okay, no more question. So I would like to thank you very much, Doc, for your presentation and all the answers. It's very enlightening for us. And I think uh, most of us learned a lot tonight from your relatively very short presentation, <laughs> which is quite good. <laughs> you can learn a lot of things in very short time. And uh, yeah, I, we hope that, uh, I hope that we can uh, meet again in the future, maybe when you're not traveling. <laughs> Well, oh, maybe man. I can maybe I can come to Australia. Oh, uh, maybe you can come to Australia <laughs> when the pandemic has has been over because it's been a very hard border here in Australia. <laughs> mm -hmm. But anyway, um, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you for everyone for coming. If you have anything, you can contact Doc. I think you have uh, the slide there. Doc has just put some slide. Thank you very much. And mm -hmm. then uh, stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. Have a good night and have a good uh, day there. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Good night.